Hey guys, welcome back to A Place Within, where this week and every week we try to dive to the root of our thoughts, feelings, and desires, where we trust we'll find the gospel as well as our need for it. Um, something that I love so much in presenting the gospel to people, um, helping people to come to know the story of the salvation that was won for us on the cross and how it affects not just, you know, one moment in history, but everything else, everything that came before, everything that has come after absolutely hinges upon the gospel. And, um, when I share that with people, I have just loved the transforming experience of being able to share the gospel through my own story, my own testimony, my own walk with the Lord. And so I'm so thankful that you all got to hear Christina's testimony last week. Um, if you haven't listened to that yet, pause this right now and go back and listen. It's so beautiful. Um, but this week I would love the opportunity and I'm so humbled to be able to share with you little bits and pieces, um, you know, highlights, I guess, of my own story. And um, hopefully you'll be able to see um, the way that Jesus's gospel isn't just true for my life um, or is as a historical thing that happened or as, you know, the foundation of our religion, but really um, concrete realities that are enmeshed in every, every human story, including my own. And so I've kind of tried to like pinpoint where those things are, but um, yeah, <laughs> without further ado, here we go. Um, I was born in the early 90s. Um, I'm the second of three children. I was born to two Catholic parents, but one who converted when she was in college and the other who grew up in a pretty non-practicing Catholic home. And so um, thanks be to God, my parents really did desire to honor the vows that they made when they married one another and raise a Catholic family. But all that they had ever experienced in that vein was, um, yeah, let's go to mass, let's enroll the kids in religious education, let's talk about God every once in a while. But um yeah, I think just even in adulthood reflecting with them, um, the reality that like Jesus was supposed to be the center of our lives or that um, we were called to be disciples of Christ was never a concept that me or my family was that familiar with or really at all familiar with growing up. And we lived pretty far from our parish. We didn't attend church at our um, geographic parish, you know, that every, every place is within a parish as far as the Catholic Church is concerned. And we attended church at a parish outside of our, our geographic parish. Well, that didn't really make sense, but we'll continue. So um, as far as just being involved in the community of our church, we, we did sometimes, but we also just didn't other times. And that's just how it was. But um, yeah, as a middle child, I felt pretty secure in, in my place in my family. Um, there was, uh, just like any family, you know, we're not perfect, but, um, I did notice that I have this kind of theory about middle children that when you start to realize that, um, you're not the oldest, you're not going to be the first to be looked at and you're not the baby either. One of two things can happen. You can either kind of retreat into, um, a state of invisibility and view yourself as kind of under the radar, invisible, or you can assert yourself as invincible, not wanting to be forgotten and trying to push your way to the center of attention. And I definitely was the latter type. Um, so I'm not that much younger than my sister. And um, 
I definitely viewed my life and my my relationships within my family at school as the you know more exceptional I was whether that was being a good student or being talented or you know being good at whatever it was that I was doing was what was going to assure me love and acceptance in a place so I could like understand and assert that I was like made to be in relationship with people I don't think I would have ever said it that way but I thought that the way to be in relationship with other people was to be kind of approved of by them or admired by um and that was so so central to my view of relationships um and it was interesting as I was reflecting on this uh, every testimony every single time I share this it's different um but not because like I change, you know, events in my life, but because I just remember different things. Think about um, the second point of the gospel, that the relationship that we were made to have with God was broken by sin. And how did I first come to understand that? What was my exposure to sin? And I can never really truly pinpoint that, but I had such a strange memory of a time when I was in kindergarten and there was a teacher's assistant who was using this really cool, um, like double-sided tape roller. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but she was using this tape that she was, that came out of this contraption. She would push it on the paper and drag it across and it would make the paper sticky and she'd stick it to something else to help out our teacher. And I just thought it was so cool. I was supposed to be doing something else and I was just fascinated by this tape contraption. So when it was time to line up as a class and go do something else, um, I snuck away and I went to go look at that tape thing um, because I was so intrigued by it and I pushed it on the table instead of on a piece of paper and I got tape on the table and my teacher saw me duh and came over to investigate and was so annoyed at me which if I was a kindergarten teacher I would also be annoyed but that was the first time especially from like a teacher I was in trouble you know like I chose to do something wrong and there were consequences and that she was unhappy with me in that relationship was like kind of a unique experience for me. I don't think it was like this traumatizing thing that changed everything, but that was a memory that came back to me when I just thought about, you know, my own sin, um, that I made a, a conscious choice to do something that I knew probably wasn't right at five. Um, and yeah, that reality that I was made to be in relationships skewed by this perception that I had very early in life that the way I earned love and relationship was by being good at things. Um, plus many, many instances of my own sinfulness, as well as, you know, just coming to understand those things in the formation that I was given as a, a child in the church. Um, I grew, you know, I, I grew up and then as I became, you know, a pre-teenage girl, those, the reality of, um, the volatility of relationships, um, the brokenness that human beings experience in relationships that I experienced in relationships became even more intense and more dramatic and more conniving to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, I, it was definitely a mixed bag just like it is with anyone. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, I understood something new and that was, um, it was actually, a student at the middle school. I was still in elementary school, um, but my sister was in middle school. And there was a student at the middle school who neither of us knew very well. I didn't know him at all, um, who took his own life. And I found out about this because the school sent home a letter with my sister and I 
got a hold of it because I was so shocked and um, so deeply disturbed by that. Um, I had lost a family member before. You know, I had a close friend who had lost a parent. Um, I had experienced, even in my like young life, some level of tragedy, just like anyone my age. Um, we saw a national tragedy at 9-11. But I had never been so horrified um, by something as when I read about that young man who was 12 years old and ended his own life. And my perspective on sadness and misery and brokenness from love um, changed after I learned about that. Um, and as I continued on, you know, trying my hardest to succeed because I, you know, I viewed that as central to living relationships, but also seeing in my family, in myself, in my friendships, some level of brokenness, um, it hurt more. And then, you know, as I was learning, I was this little budding scientist, definitely am not now. That was, that was a very limited term moment in my life. But an opportunity to go to this outdoor lab experience over the summer between sixth and seventh grade. And I was learning all about space and I felt very smart and very capable. So therefore very loved. But all the while I'm learning that, you know, the universe is vast and there are things that exist that, you know, have been seen through telescopes that are billions and billions of miles away and what is even a billion anyway. And when I came to terms and came to even just realize how much I didn't understand about the seeming infinity of space and time, my understanding of God became very muddled and I had a lot of questions and honestly a lot of fears but as a person who viewed knowledge and accomplishment as a source of love I was very very guarded about my questions and fears because I felt like if I opened up to somebody about how uncertain I was they would love me less and I definitely didn't want that so it wasn't all at once it wasn't you know an existential crisis to the nth degree as a 12 year old but um those unanswered questions kept kind of building in my heart, but I didn't really know what was going on. And by the time I was 15 and 16, and I had experienced more failures and more betrayals and more heartbreaks, um, those questions about who is God anyway um, really started to aggravate me more. My experience at this time at church was that um, yeah, in, in seventh grade, you started confirmation class, and I had a couple of conflicts with the schedule. It's just like classic church drama. Um, and so I wasn't allowed to be in the confirmation class. I think that there was a big misunderstanding and miscommunication between my parents and the religious education staff. All that to say I was not actively in religious education anymore. Um, I was singing very actively in the church's youth choir, which was maybe like as, as good as it was at times, um, the most dramatic friend group that I had, um, the least virtuous friend group that I had. And then my involvement in the mass became so much about me and the choir and how good we were um, at singing, not at all about who God was or what the mass was even for. 
And so from time to time, I would clue in. I would not be dozing off or um, zoning out during a reading. And I would hear, you know, Jesus say something like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, or, you know, some story about people not wearing the correct robes being thrown out where there's grinding and gnashing of teeth. And I just like, this doesn't sound good. You know, this doesn't sound friendly. This doesn't sound appealing to me. Um, but I also do care about my reputation with all of these people. So I'm not going to open up about that. I have all of these questions, these doubts about, um, about God in general, because I know that the world, the universe is very big. And how could he be bigger? You know, I had questions about Jesus because there were things that he said that I didn't understand and I didn't like. And I had questions about my own goodness because of the ways other people viewed me, but also the things that I knew that I did that were wrong. And so all of those questions um, were not headed in the great direction. And I was quite miserable. And especially in the, you know, closed doors of my family, I was pretty miserable to be around. But on Good Friday of 2009, I was 16 years old and my mom invited me to go to church with her. And like I had mentioned before, you know, I didn't have this great, dramatic, you know, beautiful, favorable view of God. But I thought, you know, he's probably real. And if I go to church an extra day besides Sunday, um, that's probably some extra credit points for God if he's real. So I'll go. And um, when I walked in, I was kind of in, in my lowest of low emotionally. I was not a happy kid at this point. But I was getting ready to go and teach a week of outdoor education the, the following week, Easter week, I was going to go. And I had just met up with some of the students that I would be teaching at their elementary school. They were these precious little sixth graders. And when I walked into the church, one of them was the altar server. And he walked up to me and he recognized me. And it was just so pure that before I even got into the church, um, I was happier than I had been in a long time. And we were there early, which isn't something that happened very often for my family. So I had some time to kill and I was in the pew, not really sure of what to do. And I opened up a missile and I turned to Good Friday and there was this reflection about the veneration of the cross, which I had never participated in before. And it was talking about Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, what the cross was. And this was the first time I really had ever reflected on it. Before I knew that, like, the passion was sad, you know, I'd gone to, like, a living stations of the cross, and um, it had moved me, but this was the first time I was meditating on it myself, and I even got down to kneel, and I was looking at this very large crucifix in our church, and something that I, leading up to this time, you know, in, in my lowest of low, I really did start to believe and kind of torture myself with the belief that nobody loved me, um, that nobody really loved me for me. And as I was looking at the crucifix and thinking about it, meditating on this, um, I heard a voice, not audibly, but just interiorly, you know, Ashlyn, how can you think that nobody loves you when I did this for you? And I was like, whoa, hold on, you know, like, I don't even know if I think that you're legit. You know, I don't know if what I think about Jesus. And then there was like this persistence, like, no, you know, crazy person or not, 
you know, you know that I was a historical person, that I died this death. And delusional or not, I did it for you. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, I left that church just like, what happened? You know, I, I couldn't really know what to make of it. Um, it wasn't like I left with like a smile on my face, like, wow, everything's different. And I understand the gospel now, but that was a huge grace, you know, that Christ's death on the cross happened and that it was personal and that it was done, not in resentment, you know, just totally in love was astonishing to me. It challenged everything that I was believing and operating on in my life. And the next day I went back for Easter Vigil. And I experienced joy there that I had not felt in years. I had been so miserable and for what felt like no reason. You know, I wasn't with my friends. I wasn't doing anything that by 16-year-old standards were like especially cool. I was in a church with my mom on a Saturday night and I was smiling more genuinely than I had in years. And I just knew it was different. And that next week, like I said, you know, I was up in the mountains with sixth graders being their teacher and I had just time and space to myself. And I would lay in my bed in a bunkhouse of sixth grade girls at night and meditate, you know, on, on a loving God. And it, it made sense. I just had so much trust and so much confidence that, that my life was made for goodness. Um, that goodness came from God. And I didn't, for the first time, it felt like in forever, like in my whole life, it wasn't about being worthy of it or earning it. You know, it was just, it just was. And that was so beautiful. And the following year, my senior year, I knew that I needed to be confirmed. Remember, I hadn't been confirmed yet. I was like, oh, you know, that's an important Catholic thing that I need to check out the list. And I had the opportunity to be confirmed through RCIA. So I went through RCIA with the other adults. I was the youngest by, you know, decades. And I got to learn salvation history um, from, from a brilliant educator. And I got to be in a community of adults who were seeking to know the faith and become Catholic themselves. And I just really enjoyed being friends with them. And in a lot of ways, like being their little darling, you know, um, I liked to be the top student that didn't stop. And I was kind of in RCIA. Um, and that was definitely not perfect, but to just be received in the church in a way that I just never had before um, was really a special experience. And then I went off to college thinking like, wow, you know, like I did it, you know, I went through RCIA. I have been given more formation than a lot of my peers or that, you know, that I think that they did. I'm, I'm succeeding as a Catholic. And so the way that I'm going to live as a Catholic is to go to mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation and to be a good person. Still, after all of that, you know, thanks be to God after all of that, that was still all I knew about what it meant to be a Catholic was to go to church and to be a good person. And I wanted to do that. Um, I had a really hard time believing that things that I was doing that were sinful, you know, drinking underage, you know, like disordered exercises of sexuality, all of these things, you know, like I would excuse myself, but I still, you know, wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. I just didn't really know how much was available to me. And so when 
I got calls from girls that were starting Bible studies to be in a Bible study. I was like, what is that? You know, when I was invited to lead a Bible study, I was like, okay, I guess I will. But the yeah, Christ-centered life of discipleship was still so foreign to me as a concept. Um, I would have told anyone who asked me, is Jesus Christ the center of your life? I would have said yes, but in all honesty, like he wasn't. You know, he was definitely a factor in my life. He was a factor in making choices and not making choices. But was Jesus the center of my life? No, he was not. And it was in attending a conference that I was invited for the first time ever to even reflect on what had happened in my life up until that point. You know, I kind of knew the story of it, but that was the first time at a conference that I could look back at that at Good Friday 2009 and see, you know, like the Lord intervened in my life and completely changed things for me on a specific day at a specific time. Um, that that moment, that event absolutely changed the history of my life. And all these things, you know, were unfolding slowly but surely. All the while, though, in college, all of my friends um, pretty much were Protestant. And I didn't really click with the Catholics on campus. And it was cool. Like, it was great to have a community of Christians. And I, a lot of people that go to large state schools like I did don't have that. Um, but most of my Christian friends were Protestant. And that was never a big deal until actually not that long after the Catholic conference that I had attended. Um, I got into... A pretty interesting conversation with one of my Protestant friends and he was the first to really call me out on my Catholic beliefs. We had talked about it before, me and some of my other friends, um, but he was the first person to vocalize, you know, I want to change this about you. And at first I totally wrote it off. I was like, that is not ever going to happen. But he asked me some questions that I really didn't know the answers to. And old habits die hard. Remember, you know, back in my earlier days when I had a question about something that was a matter of faith, my pride stopped me from asking that question because I thought it was up to me to know the answers for myself. And so when I didn't know the answers to his questions, I had kind of a crisis of faith. You know, I was so, um, so confused about about these questions and I didn't understand, you know, why we had multiple churches and I knew that we were only supposed to have one, but I started to doubt, you know, do the Catholics really have it? Um, am I doing the right thing? Is it prideful for Catholics to say that they have the fullness of the truth? Um, and there were even a couple of Sundays where I went to my friend's church at a nursing home where I will be completely honest. I had such a beautiful experience of prayer. I saw a community that was on fire with charity who loved God deeply and loved each other with that same love that I had not seen in my Catholic community or in a Catholic community. But when I left that church as good of an experience as it was attending that service, I missed the Eucharist. And, you know, that wrestle was noble for a while and then I got tired and I got lazy. Um, but it was the Eucharist that kept me Catholic because I knew in the core of my being that despite all of these questions that I had about Our Lady, about the saints, about the papacy, um, that the Eucharist was not a symbol. It wasn't a piece of bread. It really was, despite all reason or any reason that I had at that point the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And I just knew it. 
And so, yeah, thanks be to God. After that crisis of faith, I did come to be more docile to our mother, the church. For a long time, I wanted to believe that it really didn't matter, you know, that the doctrinal differences weren't that different. And on paper, you know, in their original state, they really aren't that different. Um, but the paths that they lead to, uh, the choices that we make as a result of what our church teaches can lead us pretty far away from one another. And um, by admitting, thanks be to God, that I did not have all the answers and I couldn't come to understand all the answers just by myself, just by going to John 6 and trying to understand it for myself, um, I couldn't do it. It didn't make sense just on my own that I was more open to entering into a community within the church, which then opened my eyes to the fact that actually that's what the Lord wanted. He wanted the church to be a community, that it was a community of discipleship, that I was made to be a saint that rocked my world. You know, it was six years after I had that initial conversion that it dawned on me that it was not prideful to desire sainthood. And my life will always be different as a result of that. So yeah, what has my life looked like since all of that has happened? Um, sometimes a lot better than anything that I've said, as you know, amazed as I am by reflecting on some of these things that have happened in my life. Um, things that, you know, I forgot had had such a big impact on me, to be completely honest. Um, there have been things that have happened since, you know, that have been so much better and so much more beautiful when the Lord has, you know, invited me on international mission or show me just healed, you know, wounds that had been inflicted by past sin, by helping me just minister and be his minister to other people. There are so many moments that have been so much better and there have been plenty of other lows you know it's not like one thing happened and I was praise God you know able to <laughs> I say that a lot but I mean it um meditate on the cross for the first time and have it transform my life you know it wasn't like that happened and then everything was perfect after that there have been plenty of heartbreaks since um but I'm yeah, still so much on a journey and the things that I've come to realize and the cornerstones that have come into my life through many of these moments that I've shared with you as well as others are that relationship with God is a fact. You know, it's just, it's an option always. And that that relationship is impeded by the brokenness that I experience in my life and I see in the world around me. But that brokenness sin and death even when it doesn't feel like it and sometimes y'all it doesn't feel like it I can have faith that it was conquered on the cross and I know that and I come to understand more and more of what that means it's not just like this simple fluffy thing that's even easy to understand for me it's not maybe for you you know it you have this special grace that it's easy for you to understand for me it's not um but that I exist and I was given by my lord a church in which I can continue to be formed. And that church isn't just, you know, an institution that forms me. It's also a community. It's a family. Um, I, can, I can't talk about the church as like, oh, the church over there that I go to sometimes. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church. Um, because the church is Christ. He's the head. We're the body. All that. It's, I found it to be resoundingly true in my life.
And I hope that as I reflected, you know, on my own life, the Holy Spirit has stirred something in you that um, maybe reminds you of something that happened to you or um, just invites you and like makes you want to look at your own life, which I'm sure is more interesting than mine. Um, but whatever happens, I'm very humbled that you've taken the time to listen to this. And please pray for me and I'll pray for you. God bless you. Bye. Oh, wait. Look for us on Instagram at APW Podcast or Twitter at APW Pod. You can follow Christina on Twitter at Chris underscore Stina with two E's. Bless. Bye, y'all.